Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio, of course, is a music interview and story podcast available for free on iTunes and on your interwebs at musicliferadio.com. Today on the program, we feature the musical duo Bobby Joe Abola and the Children McNuggets. This band is composed of Dan Abbott on guitar and vocals and Corbett Redford vocals. This talented musical comedic duo who makes up the band has just reformed after a 10-year hiatus. Their music is best described as pretty songs about awful things. Today, in part one of the interview with Bobby Joe Ebola and the Children McNuggets, we talk to the band about the origin, the band name and how hard it was for them to get gigs in the early days. The local music club in their area, 924 Gilman, also known as the Alternative Music Foundation, wouldn't even book the band. They were deemed too silly. They had to fight off this novelty band stigma when they were really serious about their music. So out of necessity, they founded their own record label, Spam Records, with oftentimes backup singer John Mink, also known as John Geek, who probably best known for his role as the singer in the band The Fleshies. Bobby Joe Ebola also created and booked their own festival called Geek Fest, and they've went on to achieve pretty much legendary underground and cult status. They've even had songs appearing on the Dr. Domeno Show. Most recently, they've played at the Punchline Comedy Club in San Francisco. They've performed over a thousand local and national gigs. After a couple of years of steady playing, they even went back to that 924 Gilman that said that they were too alternative to play and began headlining that club, and they continue to do so in their reformation after their 10-year hiatus. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Bobby Joe Ebola. But first, we're going to turn up the volume on this background music. This is Bobby Joe Ebola and the Children McNuggets performing Life is Excellent on their new album, F. Life is excellent The tap water tastes like excrement The skies rain poison But I gotta pay the rent Glowing box and I like my 
Dan and Corbin here in the studio with us today. Anyway, can you guys introduce yourselves to the audience and then talk a little bit about your musical background before you guys join forces? My name's Corbett Redford, and uh, my musical background before I joined Bobby Joey Bola and the Children Mac Nuggets uh, was pretty much limited to uh, musical theater. I uh, did a lot of local community stuff in the Bay Area. I was the voice of the plant in a uh, community players uh, <laughs> a production in uh, of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, and I also uh, wrote a few uh, funny songs with uh, an old Englishman named uh, Kevin Woods. But but other than that, it was just mostly like acting and performing. Uh, not much musical background though. Mm, all right. How about you, Dan? I was playing guitar in high school a little bit. I was I was in a couple of bands. I mean, I was just out of high school when when the band started, so uh, I'd pretty much I'd carried my guitar around a lot, and that was that was mostly the extent of it. I'd probably played five or six shows before then with other bands. All right. Well, how did you guys meet in high school? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. Uh, yeah. I think at during fourth period lunch. Yeah, we had the same period lunch. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I had a comedy troupe at the time, and um, I I thought Dan was really funny, and uh, Dan had some sketches that he had written, and uh, he gave them to me, and I liked them, and I went back to the comedy troupe, and I said, "Hey guys, like I, I'd like this guy to be in the in the troupe," and I was you know I was pretty much the leader of the troupe. I would book the shows and you know gather everybody and organize stuff and and. Uh, a few of them were, and it was actually the plagiarists of the comedy troupe. A few of them were very, um, they were very, you know, no, 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 like, not that guy. And I'm like, why? And they were like, he does drugs. <laughs> you know. And yet they let John in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, let they, they let John Geek in, yes. <laughs> who, yeah, who at the time also did drugs. <laughs> You guys all kind of formed on a comedy basis. Well, John was in a band at the time. John, uh, that we would, Dan and I would go see his yeah. shows of his band. He, okay. w- he was like the the local guy that was in bands. Yeah. All right, all right. Playing Berkeley Square, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, but but his band, as well as the band that we started, um, couldn't play Gilman. So that was kind of pivotal for us because at the time, everybody wanted to play Gilman because that was where the the most people were going to see music mm-hmm. because of the you know the the uh would you say like early 90s pop punk boom mm-hmm. you know and uh now, why was it you couldn't play well they said that John's band they said uh they that um a few of the the folks there said that John's band at the time was thrash funk <laughs> and and we, that we were silly folk now I can understand <laughs> While they wouldn't let, why they wouldn't let us? But when you look at Steve Kepke's The List, yeah, 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 it says, um, what does it say? It says like uh, thrash, funk, ska, metal. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, like it would make sense that John would have been able to play. Yeah, but um, it was. I, I think partly the times were changing at Gilman, like just the timing of us starting a band in 1995. That was just when. Uh, you know, Green Day had just been big for about mm-hmm. a year or two, you know, on the on the the global scale, and suddenly, you know, for the first time, uh, you could buy all the all the fashion accessories you needed to look like a real real live punk rocker at Hot Topic, and they had come from the same high school that we did as well. Yeah, so but, yeah, it had a special significance for us, mm-hmm. um, and so the so the. The kids that had always been the outsiders and going to Gilman and you know working really hard to have this this outsider community, all of a sudden it was being flooded by just you know kids who wanted to dress the part, and uh, so it started the scene started sort of splintering and everyone really spent a lot of time talking about whether this or that band was really punk <laughs> when yeah. Gilman wasn't specifically designed to be a punk. Venue it was just supposed the to be the Alternative Music Foundation yeah. was mm-hmm. its exactly. it is its name to yeah. this day. But I mean, we we Thus Geek Fest was where we wound up going and forming our own little niche. 
Yeah, good. We'll talk about that in a little mm-hmm. bit because that's about the time that I learned about you guys and first saw you uh, playing. We were playing together. Yes, exactly. So you were in this comedy troupe. What made you decide to form a band, actually? Um, <laughs> I, I There was a, a girl in our high school who um, actually, uh, we owe a lot to John in this regard, John Geek uh, had a band and they were supposed to be playing this girl that I had a crush on's uh birthday party and his band canceled and she was really bummed about it and she was talking to me on the phone about it and she was saying oh no i need a band for my you know i said Uh well i've got a band (laughs) and she said no you don't and uh she called my bluff and 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 I, i said yes i do and she said well if you have a band you can play on sunday and so i knew that dan had been wandering around town with his guitar uh-huh. A lot. Um <laughs> and I I think that I, I Well your yeah, Corbett's house was on the way home like in my senior year of high school, uh his house was on the way home uh from school. So I would stop by there quite a bit and then uh I graduated high school and I went traveling for a little bit and when I came back it was summertime and you know, I was sort of figuring out what what to do next. Um, Shitty job, community college, you <laughs> right. know the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, so I, I started hanging out at Corbett's a little bit more because um, all my friends that had any money or ambition were off at college, and um, or you know, moving moving off to college anyway. <laughs> and uh, uh, Corbett, uh, one day when I came by he asked me if i wanted to be in a band and i said sure now that, that was pretty much it and we we wrote some songs and then uh that weekend was the party and i think we had like at least five or six other people playing with us who from our house from the house that i lived at uh-huh. who just wanted to be in a band yeah yeah and so they like i think there was a drummer that wore a, a chicken hat and or played a tuba at the same time he was playing drums, and um, yeah, it, it was, was like, a it was a beautiful mess. <laughs> yeah, we covered a Beatles song and a Weird Al song, and uh, yeah, that was it. So where did the name come from? That's a big question. <laughs> well, we had to have a name before this before the party started. Yes. So we had to we had to come up with it quick. So we got really stoned. Yes, <laughs> and we drove around our hometown. <laughs> Yeah, we finally parked in the Burger King parking lot because we were too stoned to drive anymore. (laughs) And and, uh, Ebola had just broke out in the Congo, and it was very a frightening idea. Mm. And uh, we also lived in a place that was the uh, per capita the there was more fast food to buy there than supposedly anywhere else in North America at the time, called Penol. And uh, it was just, this was what 1995. Mm-hmm. So we were just sitting there, as Dan put it so well, uh, as, as Paz put it so well in the past, stoned to tears, you know, trying not to giggle our heads off. And uh, we just came up with this name while sitting there. And uh, I think it was before the gig. Yeah. 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 I, I, the thing is, we didn't really expect to play more than one time. So. We could have the most obnoxious band <laughs> name possible. You know, we didn't, we weren't thinking like a long-term marketing strategy. Like, ah, oh, this is going to look great on a, you know, three, or, three or four T-shirts if we sew them together. <laughs> it is a rather long name when you string it all together, isn't it? It does not, did not fit very well on a flyer. You have to be very careful about your choice of font. Yeah, the, the most clunky, you know, long-winded name, I think, But, but it's unique. Nobody else had it. I'm sure you didn't have to do much research. No, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> was there ever an issue, did you, was it ever McNuggets, or was it always Mac Nuggets? Well, we always thought, there was uh, somebody who told us, you can't name your, your band McNuggets. Yeah. And uh, and so, just at the from the beginning, it was always M-A-C, capital N-U-G-G-I-T-S. Yeah. So there's like at least five or six points of difference, and supposedly there's this copyright thing uh-huh. where there has to be like seven points of difference. But I think our seventh point point of difference would be that it's like 
satire based. I I don't know. Yeah. Come on, Ronald, come after us. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, I think I think we'll know we've made it when they do sue us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then we'll change it to tenders. I, please, please sue us, sue us into stardom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Are you guys familiar with the band Tad? Yes, it's a grunge band out of Seattle. They had um, done a song called uh, Jack Pepsi, like you know Jack and Coke, but it was Jack Pepsi. Yeah, and they had a cartoon comic with this guy. The story of the song was this guy was driving his truck out onto the ice, and his truck was falling into the ice, and he's like, "Save me, Jack Pepsi!" And Pepsi <laughs> didn't like that very much, so they because it was associated with alcohol. Yeah, I guess. yeah. So they sued him, and they had also taken a picture from a garage sale and used it as the album cover. And the new husband of the wife that was in this picture, it was a, a picture of a couple and kind of like in swimwear yeah, yeah. Uh, on the front, uh, took real great offense to it and sued them again. And, <laughs> so wow. they were sued back into obscurity. Oh, no. I remember that. that, band, that I remember the name of that band. They were yeah. part of that whole. Yeah, they were just part of that band. whole grunge thing. Yeah. Yikes. But I thought that was a funny story with the Jack Pepsi. Absolutely. <laughs> So, okay, you played this party as Bobby Joe Bull and the Children McNuggets, and then what happens? Are you still you you still go on obviously to continue with the band? Well, John was at the time, he was gigging pretty regularly with his his band Annulus. And they were playing at the Berkeley Square, uh which was the pretty much the the only other all ages venue in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um and so we w- we would go and see him all the time. Like he was, he was pretty much packing the house on on weekends. Uh, he was like the you know the rock star that we knew. Yeah. Uh, even after high school, you know the band Annulus kept going. They kind of changed a little bit, but it was still like the weekly party. Everyone would go to Berkeley Square, and when as our band was sort of coming together. Uh, his band and a couple other bands that were regulars at Berkeley Square would let us come on between bands and sort of work the crowd and and uh we we sort of built up an audience that way in the first like 6 months of the band and we played a couple of shows uh in the winter there was this this pot bar in Berkeley called Menashe's over, you know where the, the uh, Durant food court is, where all the Oriental foods are? Uh-huh. Um, at the very end, there's a Thai restaurant. I think it's called Thai Basil. It used to be a bar called Menashe's, where pot was, like, allowed. And he, like, he would take us in there, and, like, you know, all his friends would roll joints and play magic. Um, and we played a, a show there a couple nights before Christmas. 1995 and that was the that was the place where rachel swan went to where we were sort of like well if you don't like us uh you know we'll we'll buy you a beer Mm -hmm. um and thankfully we didn't have to buy too many beers (laughs) um but you know we just we picked up really modest gigs and uh eventually started playing real shows at the Berkeley Square. That was, I think, that was really where we kind of got started. Now, were you locked down as a two-piece at this point, or mm-hmm. with special guests on occasion? Was John singing with you at all at that point, or you just focus on the two of you? I mean, he would. He, at that point, he was pretty much. We were living together pretty often, I think, and so when we would be, would be practicing at home, <laughs> yeah, he'd come in and hear something, and uh, I remember in particularly. We played our song, uh, Writing Love Songs Will Never Help Me Get the Chicks. And he heard us sing the chorus or something and spit his milk across the kitchen, <laughs> you know. And so I think he'd just come in and, and start hearing it and singing along. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a time when, um, like, like he, it, it, his bands went from, like, sl- uh, Slide to Annulus to Astroloid to, like, his bands would, you know, over time would break up mm-hmm. and things like this. And so between those bands, like he would go on tour with us and like, it was like, you know, and people would ask him, are you in the band? And he's like, well, I don't write any of the songs. I'm just like, you know, a big fan. I'm their backup singer. Yeah, yeah. And so to this day, like, you know, if he's around, like he's on our albums and he's, you know, it's pretty much family. Yeah. 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 I've known him for 25 yeah. years since the fifth grade yeah. myself, you know, <laughs> writing love songs. 
will never help me get the chicks. Writing love songs will never help me get the chicks. I gave you the key to my heart, and you broke it off in the lock. I gave you the shoot of my soul, girl, you wore it around with no socks, baby. Right now, the three of you, did you found Spam Records together in 1995? Can you talk about what Spam Records was? Well, Spam Records, nobody else would put out our records. Yeah. So, um, so. Yeah, we tried to do ads in MRR and and Mm. were denied that as well. Maximum Rock and Roll, the the, uh, Bay Area. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even take your ad? Just like, well, because Gilman and, and Maximum Rock and Roll uh, were pretty much linked hand at the hip hand. then. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a lot of ties, as as, mm-hmm. as I as far as I know. Um, but they said no, that they 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 couldn't. It, it was strictly punk. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Corporate it, punk. <laughs> and it was t- the fellow Tim Yohannan, who, who's passed on now. Yeah. Uh, but he was, John would say, you know, he was very kind about it. But he was very, you know, you know, that's it. Like, sorry, you know. He had his idea of what he wanted. Yeah, so that's, yeah. and this is definitely not it, yeah. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it felt like a burn. It felt like we were, I mean, it felt like we were back in high school, yeah. you know, and like we weren't wearing cool clothes, and so we were getting, we were getting the, new, the shaft. Well, the especially club, because the yeah. biggest thing that was coming from the area at that time was punk. Yeah. And we wanted to... I loved the music, like I was, I was caught up in the wave, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I wanted to be a part of it, you know. And we were, we couldn't, like we were told no, you know, <laughs> by its institutions. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be painful. It yeah. was, it was, and but but um, funny, like years later, like we became Gilman headliners and I know. <laughs> and it's like, it's yeah, uh, that, that first time headlining, it definitely felt like, uh, you know, some big triumphant, like, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Who's the guy who did breakfast club? The, John Hughes, John Hughes. Yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. like the end of a John Hughes movie, you know, like, Oh, we finally, finally did it. <laughs> Headlined at the, the local, you know, the local dive. Yeah. Um, for for us you know we knew about punk rock ethics and the you know the the whole DIY thing we sort of were aware of cuz we we'd been making flyers for for our little shows and doing things on a really modest scale um and we you know we put out the first CD all DIY style and uh well, uh, very expensive. We didn't know a lot, any of the DIY avenues that punk could have given us. Yeah, so you went to the mainstream. Right. Reese, yeah, yeah. we weren't, we weren't tapped production. into that community. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. also too, like, like John was like, "Well, we need to start this festival," you know, and we all lived in the same house, and well, we should have a label that represents the festival, and so we were like the flagship band. Bobby Joe Bola was the flagship band for mm-hmm. it. And so we would play just about every geek fest, if I'm not mistaken. We, we were pretty much the MCs. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if not, if we weren't playing between bands, we were playing, you know, the the, the larger geek fests. So it was totally a, very self promoting in a lot of ways, you know. And then it went on to be like, well, 
it's time for us to put out an album. So it just so happened that, you know, well, Bobby Joe Bola was the first spam record. So, okay. It wasn't designed to be altruistic. Like we weren't, we weren't like, let's, let's heal the world with our magical record label. (laughs) We were just like, we wanted, we wanted to get our records out and we wanted to play shows. And if the only shows we could play were the ones we put on, then so be it. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into Geek Fest a little bit. Uh, talk a little about Geek Fest. Essentially, after after we it became clear to us that we couldn't play at Gilman and uh, Berkeley Square shut down, uh, so there was nowhere left for us to play. San Francisco was a really hard place to get into if you were under twenty one. You know, I I was under twenty one. I was eighteen. And you guys were what twenty? Yeah, something like that. There was the night break always. You know. There was the night yeah. break. The night break <laughs> closed down too, and um, and so we were like, well, what do you know? What are we gonna do? Oh, let's let's just do a festival. John rented a generator from the, the local hardware store, um, <laughs> and there are a bunch of bands that would play, and you know, there's maybe an average of three or four members per band, and if they all bring their girlfriends, if they have any, then that's like, that's a pretty good crowd. We it was. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, at first it was kind of like people would show up, play, and then leave. Yeah. And so it was the same. It was like, you know, you had an average crowd of about 12 people. Uh, for, the first few. Yeah, the first few. And the thing is, we, we started throwing in ambiguity. We never... Sh- told people when the bands were going to play like you knew what bands were going to play but you didn't know when in the day so you mm. if you wanted to see your favorite band you had to you had to be there because <laughs> they might play right at noon you know and they or they might you might have to wait until sunset it, gradually natural selection filtered out the people who really would would have a problem with that and you got people that were were okay with with being uncertain all day Mm-hmm. And and we're okay with just like hanging out on a, a toxic little beach and like fighting with foam swords and <laughs> you know and and just doing doing the sign of the devil to to some you know kid riding a tricycle. There was this kind of it wasn't a re- in retaliation to Gilman, but Gilman had these still to this day has these rules: no sexism, no homophobia, no racism, no drinking, you know, no drugs, you know, mm-hmm. and it. It wasn't like we were, you know, pro any of that by any stretch of the imagination. I, I consider us, you know, queer positive and, you know, we were becoming more progressive as we got older, you mm-hmm. know, and we, we had a rule that was the, was, was, which was the antithesis of Gilman's, which is that anybody can play. All these different bands would come through and so we'd find peers in this band and, and so then more people would come onto spam or more people would keep playing Geek Fest. Or we'd find other people to play shows with, but then there'd also be the sexist or racist or homophobic bands, or, you know. <laughs> and they were usually one-offs. Yeah, you usually bands that didn't the bands that were made up of jerks for you know whatever stripe didn't of come jerk back. they happened to be. They didn't come back because they didn't feel welcome. They didn't have fun. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't their type of community. Yeah, or or we'd get in the front and be like, "Yeah, this is yeah, <laughs> you know, awesome," you know, and and like kind of lampoon them. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't, you know, they just kind of thought this was weird, you know. <laughs> like, I feel like, um, you know, like over over time, it 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 got it got better and better. And before we knew it, it was in the press so much, and it became this like thing where all these people would start showing up. And then reporters would start coming out, and then the city took notice. We were doing it at an illegal super fund or super fund site <laughs> out by out by the you know the shore. That was a super fund site. I didn't realize that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was an old Navy fuel dump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, that that was actually the reason that we were able to do the shows there because nobody was policing the area. Nobody was policing <laughs> right. the area. Like when um, at the when Clinton took office. He cut a lot of uh, a lot of the fat from the uh, from the military budgets, mm-hmm. and so a lot of old bases got decommissioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of military sites that were just storage sites um, were given away to whatever city they were in or whatever county. Um, but first, they had to do an environmental impact study, yeah. uh, 
And so they were all dragging their feet on that. Because <laughs> once they once they put on paper like how polluted it is, then they have to pay to clean it up. Uh, right? Yep. So there, it's in this weird legal limbo. And, you know, it was in Richmond at the time. At the time, Richmond was so freaking violent that... To be perfectly honest, when when the cops came by and saw a bunch of white kids uh, not doing anything particularly bad, they they had way more pressing things to do. And yeah, we we got a little bit of privilege. And uh, you know, if we had been a bunch of black kids, it would have been busted immediately. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact we came from unincorporated um, unincorporated like trailer park towns, yeah, <laughs> like like yeah. you know like. But that I mean that was just that was just the way it was and we we knew it at the time and we were just we were just glad that we got to have our little festival. Was Not, there ever a time when the cops did show up? I don't Yes. I don't, yeah. I guess yeah. I had never seen that happen. They would but, show up and yeah. just kind of survey the place and if they ever showed up and got upset it was because uh, the sunset raves and all these kinds of different raves that were going on oh, okay. simultaneously oh. uh where there was a lot more obvious drug peddling and mm. things like that, you know. Uh, but they never really uh, did anything. But then the the press, it, basically, there was a lot. The Chronicle ran this thing, and uh, and the, the the Times and all these different places. And uh, the city said no more geek fests. Mm-hmm. And so they demanded a really outrageous insurance, a policy. million dollar insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. And so. Uh, we uh, had a friend, uh, we still have a friend to this day, by the name of Robert Eggplant, who was in an old East Bay band called Blatz. And he started, um, he he was a member of the Gilman Street Project. And I think we were slowly kind of starting, I think I started cleaning toilets there mm-hmm. in an effort to get shows there. Yeah. And and he, he <laughs> had, um, yeah, they, they got to start somewhere, you know? <laughs> and, and he... Uh, he was like, well, maybe I can I can get them to open up the club for Sundays for a free all-ages show. Mm-hmm. And so when the city came down on us there, for the first time, Gilman had opened itself up to us. And little did we know, there was a lot of bands that were wor- people that were working at Gilman at the time, kids, that you'd think the kids that were working at Gilman could have gotten in. We're, we're, we're going to be the ones that were playing there. Yeah. When these big headliners would be coming through and everything, but there was even people that were working there who needed something like Geek Fest. Wow! Yeah. And so, like the Blottos or, or mm-hmm. you know, people uh, very many, very, very many bands. And so, Spam all of a sudden became Spam and Geek Fest. Like it took on a different, a, a second life, and and that that's like kind of the second tier of Geek Fest is when it entered into the Gilman phase. <laughs> Fest at one point elevated and I, I forget what it was called. Was it the first annual Geek Fest? The, the camp one, out. The camp out. Yeah, and that was legendary. <laughs> the Lord life. of the Flies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> go, uh, travel to some faraway undisclosed location uh, for an entire weekend in a very hot locale with forty bands you've never met before. If you get there, 
the, if you the, get there, the directions there were, were very bad. Well, there were some cars that suffered some damage. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. The, the, the van that was on fire, and there was somebody's van exploded. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I got into my only. The only time I've ever uh, crashed a car was <laughs> at a Geek Fest campout, and I was able to to convince everyone in the car that it had never happened because they were all on acid. <laughs> Now this was out wow. of what Stone, was was PCP it Stonyford? Is that yeah the, Stonyford? Yeah, uh, kind of what north of Sacramento a bit, about an hour east of Clear Lake, about, yeah. about three hours north of the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. really, kind of in a remote area, managed on some land by the Bureau of Land Management. That's correct. Mm-hmm. It's a, a man-made lake uh, that's used for uh, irrigation, I believe, and swimming all that weekend. Of- oh my gosh! <laughs> Not that I. Well, you saw, no, I didn't step. You in saw that the water. crap, uh, the oh, crap yeah, tank. The, 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 the uh, it was really great. Um, I remember <laughs> seeing the sewage truck, uh, the porta potty truck, go. It was full, and it was going into the park. Yeah, and as it exited out of the park, it was empty. And one time, I was like, "Wow, what what's going on there?" You know. So just, and just then like, an invading army of little baby Ruths. So in some senses, that we were trying to escape the super fun sites that we were limited to play in the city. You know, even when we went out to you know the, these faraway places, we uh, still were playing. I'll, in I'll tell you areas. what: when when uh, when it's 107 degrees out and there's no shade. <laughs> A little bit of poop, you can just uh, sweep that aside. <laughs> I don't know. Just cover up the open cuts. Maybe, that, maybe you, man. No, I don't know about it. Uh, you know, I, everyone get out of the water for about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, And we, the, we had set up the stage so that you could be in the water while watching the bands. We had done that for three or four, three years? Four mm-hmm. years? Three years, and then the last one that we did, um, there was 87 bands there, and it was, it was a week long. And, uh, it, 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 I mean, that was, it, there was a lot of great times, a lot of great, I mean, like the first time we ever arrived, it was me and this fellow DG who, who's no longer with us. And he, um, we, you know, we thought we were sly. We thought like, okay, well, we know some people, some kids that live up there and they're like, oh, you can totally pull this off. And we got into the local bar and, uh, it, and one of the guys at the bar, these, these old codgers, he looks over and goes, are you them geeks? <laughs> and I'm like, how the hell? You know? And yes, sir, we are geeks. He had gotten some mailer that was like very, you know, off-putting and, uh-huh. you know, vulgar. Oh, is that the Burger Yeah, King? way to go, dog. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, one of the lost arts since email is those little uh, mass mailer uh, postcards. And that was, that was how... We used to send out messages to people. Bands in the 90s used yeah. to send out postcards. Like we didn't have to half internet. a cent or something. No email. You know, to send things out yeah. to like 2,000 people. Uh-huh. And, you know, so we would have little sticker parties where we'd be putting on the... We'd, we'd have the little address labels and the stamps. And um, I made one uh, with, with an early... Uh, uh, Graphic layout program. Oh my god! That uh, that used a picture of an aborted fetus, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, I believe it was the Burger King motto: <laughs> "Your way, right away." Um, well, this wound up, I guess, in this on, old yeah. Dodgers mailbox. Yeah. On one side, it was a Bobby <laughs> Joey Bola mailer, uh-huh. and on the back, it was an ad for Libertatia. Yeah. And um, and and he said, and the guy looks over me and goes, "You them geek? Well, we got something with the Burger King abortion." And <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, holy shit! Like there's going to be a luncheon tonight. They're so onto us. Like <laughs> yeah. this is horrible. Like and and uh, but it 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 pretty much. I mean, we that year the BLM head Bill Bird came out and. You know, we kept having people come in from town going, we think you're all right here. Party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and any chance to sell six dollar uh, packs of cigarettes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, but but, you know, we would hear the gossip from inside the town and, and everything. And and uh, I remember the <sighs> the bureau head was up on the hill one time when we had this fellow schizo from uh, Healdsburg uh-huh. come out and he has this big shtick where he vomits pink stuff. Uh-huh. And so he held up the skull and he like it. Everyone's bowing to him, and he's puking in the skull, and like the bureau guy just took off. 
he just headed out, you know, and and uh, you know, and we had, there's a couple other things we did, like uh, when when they'd show up one time, they they threatened to show up with paddy wagons, mm-hmm. and so we um we yeah we had a special song we'd written called "Love Each Other," sisters and brothers holding hands across uh-huh. the land, and we were like we were called something like the something granola band or something, the peaceful granola, the band peaceful granola band, and uh, and and so we, you know in the in the program it said. Um, that's the one you guys played, and it, it said, uh, "It said, please um, squirrel away your big people beverages." And we had an alert, and it was like, "Okay, everybody, sit Indian style, yeah, yeah. hide your alcohol, <laughs> and 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 open up your programs to this page, and start playing, and sing along to this song." <laughs> you know, so um, it was like you know, it was like having a fire drill. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, you know. But <laughs> Over the course of the, the the next few years, it was like they kind of grew to expect it, and you know, um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. The festival known as Libertatia, which Geek Fest sort of became because mm-hmm. it was a coalition with the Pirate Punks, mm-hmm. is still going on each year. They're at fourteen now or something like that. They've been doing it each year, and it's pretty much pretty much just a Pirate Punk thing at mm-hmm. this point. But it's uh, it's still going strong. Where is the location? It it changes each year. Yeah, that's what. I thought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where would somebody go to find out about where the next one is? And- you, could, you could just Google Libertatia or yeah. Pirate Punks, and you'd you'd find it eventually. They're on MySpace and Facebook and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Okay. We kind of just briefly skipped over your first EP, Two Cats. I wanted to ask you about that. So you recorded that somewhere around 1995, 96. 95. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on your website, it talks about you got a song on the Doctor Demento show. We got a few of them on there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The dog ate the baby. Uh, all my friends are drug fiends. How did that happen? Well, somebody said you should send your album to Doctor Demento, mm-hmm. and we got a letter back, handwritten from Doctor Demento, saying, "You guys are awesome. <laughs> I'm going to be playing you on the show." And uh, and every time he would play us on the show, he'd send us the show on a CD. Oh, that's awesome. And so um, he. We wound up getting played like four or five times mm-hmm. um, like up until 97 when he would play tracks from our second album, too. Mm-hmm. So actually, we didn't haven't thought about it to this day, but he does Internet stuff now. Mm-hmm. And we should probably send him our new record. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that would be a big <laughs> I mean, Demento, at, at first it was kind of like, you know, we, we, we knew we were funny, but we also had that chip from like, okay, well... You know, we're not being taken seriously by, you know, the, the musicians of our area. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're not, we're, we're not punk and we're not rock and we're not like, you know, and so we're, what would be the funny band? Would it be the not real band or something, you know? I mean, cause we sh- sure tour and, you know, uh, record and, and do and play out and work hard like, like other bands do, you know? Mm. Sure. We don't have a lot of equipment to load, you know, <laughs> but we're older now and I think back to it and, well, that was like an honor. Like, that's Dr. Demento. That's some serious validation right there. (laughs) Yeah, that's like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, it just, I think at that point, it sort of felt like the kiss of death. Uh Like, it's, you know, oh my God, what if we get famous as the joke band? We are wacky. And we end up like George Reeves, unable to do anything but (laughs) this one shtick, you know, Uh. and like, you know, what if we can never be taken seriously as as artists and, and I've... I think we sort of recoiled from that a little bit, whereas now, like, you know, we're our our next show is at the Punchline, and yeah. if it, we're totally stoked, it, yeah, it, like, it. we couldn't be happier That's to awesome. to be playing, you know, alongside comedy acts. Well, you think about it too. It's like, you know, Frank Zappa. They might be giants. Um, you know, um, so many bands were first played. On Dr. Demento, Steve Martin, ACDC, mm-hmm. Shel Silverstein. These are all like either like genuine rock and roll outfits mm-hmm. or like with, with some clever nature or like artful, awesome performers, mm-hmm. you know, and like great company to be in now that I look back at it. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Demento plays a lot of bad stuff as well, but shoot, what, you know, what radio station doesn't have bad music on it every well, once exactly. in a while? Exactly. And it gives a good mix of stuff, too, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. different tastes and styles. Well, uh, so in 1997, you released At One with the Dumb. Can you talk about the recording of that album? Where did you do the recording? We did it in San Rafael um, with a fellow named Pete Slauson who had engineered with, like, um, 
Carlos Santana and Elvin Bishop and the Beach Boys and Rick yeah. James. He was all hooked up with the uh, family dog, like the whole Grateful Dead family. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he recorded a lot of reggae and like hippie bands. Um, and so he had a lot of good stories. The, the reggae guy Lee Perry, Lee Scratch Perry. Oh, okay. He did a lot. He did a, uh, some live albums for him and everything around the same time mm-hmm. that he was recording us and, and he'd, he'd been one of the uh, engineers on Kokomo also that's right mm. by the Beach Boys I mean it was a very interesting experience because we had never been in for a full length Our first, the two cats in 95 was an EP but this was like okay. also with him as well, well also with him as oh, well yeah, yeah. Him, okay. but we you know for all of these every time we go into the studio we'll do some folk songs with just Dan and I like we do live I mm. mean we have played some shows full band yeah. We did a few recently with like I don't know how many musicians, like about four, a dozen, a dozen musicians, mm-hmm. and ended it with like eight dancers. Yeah, so that's like this huge <laughs> thing, you know. But um, the majority of our shows, close to a thousand, if not over, have been just Dan and I. You know, so when we go into the studio, we kind of like we bring on all of our friends, and and we, you know, so so that that experience was. Um, Again, it was very stoned, and um, <laughs> it took a lot longer than it probably should have. And Pete, Pete, because of his reggae background, didn't typically like loud guitar, mm-hmm. and we wanted loud guitar. And so, I think he was kind of working against us, like mm. for for our own good. Yeah, so, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I I think part of it was that neither of us had any studio experience really, and didn't know. We we didn't know what questions to ask or really how to avoid making mistakes. I mean, even even today, like I don't really know much about the studio magic or how to how to get particular guitar sounds. Like mm-hmm. I might know what what I want, but I I don't know how to get it. You know, from my experience going into the studio the first time, you just expect that they know what they're doing and they're going to just right. make magic and it's all going to happen. We, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, you exactly. really have to put in your own input. It's true. Yeah, we it's we were a little starstruck, I think. Yeah. Just like, wow, there's a real sound booth. Yeah. And look, the weed is free. <laughs> well, he, he, yeah, he wanted us to be in there as long as we could be. You know? exactly. like, yeah. yeah, let's spend three hours trying to get his dog to bark. Yeah, on the, on the dog eat the baby. He had his dogs wrestling uh, loaves of bread. Yeah, oh, really? that's yeah. what that. That's what that is, is. like. <laughs> dog eat the baby while my family walks away. Rover ate the baby. What will my mother say? I don't care what they may say I'm glad the baby's gone And I say good, good, good Good I came out of the bathroom And I heard an awful sound Little bro is wriggling, tiny entrails on the ground. Dog ignored his high pitch yelling, his soft it tasted like a melon. Good, good, good. Any more to share about that first recording? We had a lot of talented people with us. Um, we were very grateful to, to have them on board. Um, it was super expensive, and boy, was I glad when I when I finally figured out DIY avenues <laughs> to not only you know record but duplicate and yeah. you know produce and things like that. That was like that was such a um, a horrible effort as far as money for us. We were working the crappiest jobs in many of them mm-hmm. just to see it through because we just. I don't know. We wanted to make this happen. It had the the album is going for like ninety seven dollars on on Amazon now, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it's a CD. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I can see a vinyl record going for that, yeah, but yeah. it's a CD, and I had a choose your own adventure book in it, and <laughs> you know, so we sell about a hundred of those. Um, 
you might uh, might recoup the expenses. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into a little bit about your balance between music and comedy, and I can tell that just from talking with you today, and actually just knowing your music, that you take the music part of it very seriously, even though your lyrics may be. L- somewhat lighthearted or maybe dark humor or I guess there's a lot of different ways. How do you approach combining those two elements? Do you work on striving for a balance or do you just kind of go for the song? What's your approach to it? I really feel like there's something that we do when we go out to write a Bobby Joe Bola song. That's just simply like what we do. Like it, I know that sounds very, very, very (laughs) base, you know, but, um, uh, you know, I'll mention, uh, you know, poop or television or, you know, well, dead babies or we'll do, mm-hmm. you know, these kinds of things like this kind of imagery or these kinds of like, you know, sorrowful kind of like themes, you know, but like, I do know that a lot of times when we have a song that like lyrics that we're going like, oh my gosh, wow, like that just like really hit me and that would just hit people, not for shocking, but just like, whoa, people would just be like, not know how to handle that. Uh-huh. That's what I really feel like we've got something good. It's not when it's like, oh, that's going to piss people off or, you know, uh, as we get older especially. Mm-hmm. But but if we know like, gosh, I mean, we okay, when we process that, we know what that's about. But how would other people take that in? Let's marry that with some angelic ass music or something, like <laughs> some, some bl- lilting, beautiful sound. A lot of what we do is... Sometimes we say uh, pretty songs about awful things. Personally, I like the juxtaposition, like taking things that don't normally go together mm-hmm. and mixing them up. You know, you can take lyrics that would be appropriate for, you know, a much darker form of music maybe and put, you know, having a lighthearted tune. We have a lot of the same influences, but... Um, I think we we also have ranged out over the years and gotten a lot of other influences and sort of bring those back to the table. There's a lot going on and it's not just it's not just musical influence that influences the music if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh commercials. I'm really into commercials even though I hate them. <laughs> I I think that they're, they're catchy and they stick in your head. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I I think that they're they're a great art form, uh-huh. you know, being able to, to package a message really efficiently. I mean, advertising works, you know, that's why people spend so much money on it yeah. is because it, it actually does do something. There are lessons to be learned in, uh, in any kind of other art form. Like if you're going to communicate with people, you know, packaging it in such a way that, and, and I'm not talking about physically packaging, but the way you put together any work of art, you know, you want to be able to get your point across. As our old buddy Dore Tourette would say, the way you build it. Yeah, exactly. And we, you know, we build songs, but they're also, you know, people a lot of times ask, like, uh, how do you guys get so much sound out of just three sources of sound? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just two voices and one guitar. And it sounds like there's a lot more there. Well, you know, sometimes we'll sort of joke like, oh, well, uh, you know, the drum solo is implied, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but on a, in a very real way, like it is, you know, we're, I think we're more sort of a cinematic band. Mm-hmm. Like Corbett, before the, um, before the band started, he was all set to make a full-length movie mm-hmm. um, and was, was saving up for that. Um, and we've both, we've both dabbled a little bit in film um, and we're really excited about this, this spring when we'll, we'll be working on a bunch of videos um, and, and bring our songs to life in a totally different way. It's kind of a nice full circle thing, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> Like, yeah. and, and, and each of the songs that we usually write, you know, are like stories and yeah, it, they're, they're very visual. Like people that show up at our, our shows that are really stoned, um, <laughs> tend to see pictures in their heads, but maybe they would see them anyway. But, um, we, 
we tell stories and the, the, the way we evoke things, um, it lends itself really well to other, other art forms, whether it be film or comics or mm-hmm. games or drugs, whatever it is we want to sell at our merch table. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, 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 we have all of those things except for drugs coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, there are, uh, there's a comic coming out uh, by an artist named Don Reniff uh, based on our song Life is Excellent. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's all sorts of like, and you know, and then there's these videos, and and by you know, ten or you know, so many different directors, and so it, it so saying that it, it they it our stuff does lend itself to that. People are saying to us like, "Can I do something that's a variant on this?" And we're like, "Yes, of course, please," because yeah. we don't know how to draw like that, yeah. or we don't know how to use a camera like that, yeah. or uh, you know, yeah. someone made a a video. For one of our old songs, actually. Recently. Uh, very recently. That's great. Yeah. Which one? Uh, Ghost Riders in the Hood. Oh, okay, cool. Is that on YouTube? It is. Okay, I'll check that out. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's very fun. I like that song. We've gone ahead and posted a link on our Music Live Radio website to that Ghost Riders in the Hood video. We're going to wrap up this interview, part one anyway, with Bobby Joe Bull and the Children McNuggets with a couple of live songs recorded here at Music Life Radio. Go ahead and take it away, guys. I, w- I was thinking, um, song of EP, uh, barrel slide. Okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is a song that we actually, um, wrote what <coughs> back in, in when it, we, we, we played it a couple of times before we broke up, but it was one of those songs that was like between the recording of Carmelita sings and us breaking up. Yeah, and so we never recorded it. And so we we finally recorded it on the Freaky Baby EP. It's called In the Barrel Slide. Them 
once and for all I didn't see it coming I would have started running Her purple tentacle impaled me against the wall But in the barrel slide, in the library aisle, you're different And during quiet time, you were so silent Um, let's see here. So maybe another oldie. Um, Gal Dernit, Dagnabit, Gonsarnit. Mystery of Youth? Yeah. Alright, this song is about, um, (laughs) about your boyfriend? Yeah. It's called Mr. Abuse. Pick you up at seven, not a second late. Take you to the movies, the same old blueprint date. Take you somewhere private, maybe to the bay. Park the car and hope to hear you say, Oh, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, inside of me right now. Come on, you big dumb jock boy. Take me to the clouds, tear off your no fear hat. And your Ed Hardy shirt Tear off my velvet bra I won't feel it hurt Cause If you really loved me You'd put out tonight Put out tonight Turn out the lights Don't want to cling To a sinking ship Relationship Don't want that shit If you really loved me, you'd pay for my beer. Is that a tear in your eye? One, two, three, four, this is what he calls you for. If you really loved me, you'd put out tonight. Put out tonight. Turn out the lights. Don't want to cling to a sinking ship. Relationship, don't want that shit. If you really love me, you'd pay for my beer. Is that a tear in your eye? Ooh-wee-oo. I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up another episode of Music Life Radio. Thanks for checking us out. Stay tuned for part two of the interview with Bobby Joe Ebola and the Children McNuggets where we will get into lots of new songs from their new album F and EP Freaky Baby. We'll also be talking about what they were doing during their 10-year hiatus during the Bush administration and get into more about their musical influences and what does music mean to them. Thanks again for tuning in to Music Live Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter, and we'll catch you next time.
excrement. The tablet tastes like excrement. The skies rain poison. But I got a favorite. And the don't want to